Hey, big boxers. Welcome to On the Shelf, a program that is dedicated to helping you get your products into a major big box retailer. Tim here with you. And uh, man, I just want to take a second to send some love out to all of you during this time. We are in uncharted territory, big boxers. I have never seen anything like it. My father had never seen anything like it. Nobody that I know has ever seen anything like this on such a global, massive scale. Not only are we dealing with sickness and death, but economic difficulties and disaster is just unbelievable. I don't know what to say about it. I guess all I can say, all I would tell you if I can quote Jim Rohn, and I just wrote about this on my private Facebook group page this morning, but Jim would say that for every hard winter, and when he's referring to winter, he's referring to a hard time, but for every hard winter, there is a spring. Spring always comes after winter, always. It never fails. In the course of life, spring follows winter. And right now, I think that we are in the hardest winter of our lifetime. Now, what that's going to mean is that spring is going to be so sweet. But here is the key. And if you haven't listened to Jim Rohn, which I guess if you listen to Tony Robbins, you're by definition listening to Jim Rohn because Jim Rohn was Tony Robbins' mentor. But if you haven't listened to Jim, you really got to get on iTunes and take a listen. But during the winter, when things are difficult, maybe you're snowed in like we are right now. I mean, we're basically snowed in. We can't go anywhere. We can't go see anybody. We can't talk to anybody, have dinner, go out on dates, go to the movies. We're basically snowed in. It's like we're on pause. So what are you doing with your pause? What are you doing during the winter of this season? that's going to give way to massive growth in springtime. Use this time. Learn during this time. You know, we just launched a brand new course on pricing your product for retail. I haven't even promoted it yet. It should be out on the website in a couple of days. And then I'll do an official promo. But take this time to actually learn, prepare. Do the things that you've been wanting to do. I don't know about you guys, but my house is one of those places. Well, except for my office because I work from home. But my house is one of those places that I just passed through on my way to do this or do that. I don't spend a lot of time looking at it, seeing it, wondering what I could do to make it better. I don't have generally time to do that. So I'm just passing through. Well, right now I have the time and I'm making it better. A lot of times... When you are in a long-term relationship, my wife and I, we've been married 20 years this year. That's a long time. Some of you maybe have been married longer, but you get into a routine. Maybe you're so busy that you don't even have those times to have those deep conversations anymore, the kind of conversations that you used to have when you first met. So my wife and I, we've been taking walks. We're still allowed to walk. Hopefully that won't change, but we've been getting out. And during these walks, we've been talking and having great conversations. My daughter and I, since she was a child, we she loved video games, luckily for me, because I love video games too. And so we've been playing some video games, something we haven't been able to do in ages. 
doing some projects around the house. I looked up some old lists from uh, some full focus planners that are on my shelf. And I went through the personal stuff to see what I listed down as things I wanted to accomplish in the house, but just never got to. And I made a new list and we've been knocking those off. When this is all over, we will have launched three new courses. Like I told you, the first one is pricing your product for retail, big box retail, brick and mortar retail. The second is already done. It just needs to be recorded, which is going to happen next week, is a course on how to pitch anything via video conference. Super timely for that. That's going to be $39. I hope that you all come to the website and watch that course because I've been pitching via video for years. Most of my clients, I never meet face-to-face. So we've been doing video Zoom back before Zoom. It was Skype for years. And I have some real thoughts on the difference between face-to-face and video conference and what works and what doesn't. And I put that into a course just for you guys. And then lastly, we are putting together probably the most comprehensive course on how to get your products into big box retail that we've ever done. It's going to be the mother of all courses that you can take on your own. All right. So that's what we're doing. That's what we're doing with our paws. And I can't wait for spring. I can't wait to go back to the beach. I can't wait to see my friends and have dinner and go have a great meal at a restaurant. It's going to be so sweet. And I know that it's going to be that way for you. This isn't going to last forever. It's not even going to last even close to forever. But I want to make sure that you guys are taking the time right now. Yeah, do some binge watching. I mean, we watched uh, Succession. Man, if you haven't watched Succession, I'm giving it my seal of approval. Season 3 of Ozark. Last episode of Season 3 blew my mind. So that, I'm not, not binge watching some stuff. You know, that has its place. But let's also get some things done. Let's also make some things happen. And in that vein, I want to introduce to you Zara Cruzan. And we had a great conversation. I met uh, Zara at the Inspire conference. We were both speakers there. She is a brand expert. She owns a company called Brand Author. You can check it out at brandauthor.com. I'm going to read just a little bit of her bio here. She's the founder of Brand Author and works with local agencies, retailers, and product-based businesses to create custom branding and marketing systems systems people so they can stand out as a premium brand in any market she is awesome and so in the vein of what i was just talking about hey let's elevate ourselves let's learn something i want you to pay attention because zara's about to take you to school on branding all right so without any further ado let's get right into it so, big boxers, if you're listening, I'm on with Zara Cruzan, right? Did I say that right? Yeah. From uh, the brand author. And before I said that right, too, I don't have any notes in front of me. So, I'm just <laughs> going off of memory. But uh, we're talking, we got talking about Westerns. And so, we could go on and on. You know, obviously, Val Kilmer as Doc Holliday is my, is my favorite. But just the one-liners that came out of Val Kilmer were better. And I, I just, uh, I enjoyed him as as Doc Holliday and anything that has Sam Elliott. And then if you had Bill Pullman to that, 
Yeah. Kurt Russell just has this weird walk. Like, do you ever notice, like, he has this weird walk, like his hips don't move or something. He's a bit quirky, and I think that's <laughs> what makes him so lovable. But, I mean, I've been a fan since Overboard. I, I love Kurt Russell. I just, but yeah. I think that just the cast of Tombstone, I mean, really and truly, they made that movie come to, I mean, I just, I love it. I think everybody who was chosen for their roles was just perfectly done. It was so well done and, and put together. And, and still, I've, I've probably seen it. I mean, at least, at least 15, 20 times. I mean, that would be probably undershooting it. I don't think we track how often we watch that movie. But, you know, I still cry when Bill Pullman dies. I mean, there's just, yeah, it still gets me. You know, <laughs> it's one of those. You wanted the thunder. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I've watched, even the bad guys, you know, Johnny and uh, the bad guys were really cast really well on that. And I like that Charlton Heston is in that you know, for five minutes. So, um, yeah, yeah, we could go on and on the time we were talking about, before we even got onto this, we were talking about John Wayne. So, but, uh, but that's not what we're here for. Yeah. Right. Zari, tell us a little bit about you, what you do. So everybody has an idea and then we're going to get into some questions and, and just have some fun. Awesome. Uh, so my name is Eric Krizan and I'm the founder of Brand Author. And what we do is we help, we're an agency that helps companies uh, go through a process that we call brand modeling. And so it's basically a three-pronged process where we develop out your identity, your offer, and then help you to build your culture and your advertising and marketing uh, piece of that. So um, the reason that we developed this twist is that we saw a big gap in what traditional ad agencies were providing. And that is the gap that creators have. So a lot of creators, for example, are very good at the skill set that they have. So let's take something that we're all familiar with, like an architect. You know, you can have a, an incredibly talented architect who can create unbelievable designs. And as an employee, that is a huge asset. As an entrepreneur, that can be challenging. As a business owner, that can be challenging. Because without any context, without the context of a brand, it's hard to see uh, and apply a value to that skill set. So unless you have all the other pieces, knowing who your target audience is, understanding what makes you, you know, we all say words like, we're the best, we're the most elite, we're the most custom, we're the quality. But unless you really understand what that translates to value-wise monetarily for your customer... Um, so that you can position yourself in the right light, in the right place, that skill set that you have gets thrown away. It's, it's you know, it, it, it's not, you're not able to leverage that. It, it slips through the cracks. And uh, in a worst case scenario, business owners don't even uh, look at that. In a best case scenario, they understand it. They try and put together some messaging or an ad agency will try and put together some messaging to try and translate it. Because they're missing that brand develop the offer development section of it, they're really not able to deliver on that promise in a way that makes sense and leaves you with healthy margins. And so, seeing that gap, we decided that that was something that we wanted to do. We had a heart to do and, and fill that. And so, that's what we do. Nice. So, in a nutshell, your company does what? I understand the process that you're talking about, but uh -huh. somebody would seek you out because why? So somebody would seek us out primarily where the bulk of our business is, is we design custom franchises. 
So let's just say you have two or three spas or two or three restaurants and you have what's called a local chain. And you're doing well enough, you're surviving, you've got you know multiple locations, but nothing functions unless you're there. So you're hopping from location A to B to C and back again. And by the time you circle back around to location A, all hell's broken loose, fires are needing to be put out, and you're not seeing a healthy profit margin because you're not really running efficient, uh, efficiently. And so what we do is we help to organize all of that for you and develop it into a brand. So we organize your offer development, we'll help you understand your net margins, we'll help you understand your ideal customer, who you should be marketing to, understanding where your customers are coming from, what they want from you, um, helping you put your policies together, your processes together. So that internally, you know, for those of you guys who are in the restaurant business, you'll understand the term like back of the house. You know, everything that's behind the scenes, because when you look at branding, it should be done from the inside out. And what the world typically does is they worry about the logo and the messaging and work from the outside in. And that's completely in reverse. And so we get your insides ready as step one. You know, we get all the internal stuff ready and organized and positioned to succeed. And then we have our visual team put together your logo, your package, your design, the interior design for your bricks and mortar. And then of course, the advertising piece with the messaging and, and things of that nature. So that, that's pretty much it. Yeah. So I mean, I see a lot of people... Well, backing up just a second, the whole back of the house thing resonates with me because I think I see a lot of people these days because of the internet and Facebook and videos. It's a lot of fake it till you make it, right? And you can tell people, I just found out, I feel like I'm way behind. I just found out when you see these ads with people standing next to their Ferrari, that's rented generally. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. I'm, I'm so let down. I'm like, yeah. man, that guy's crushing it. Yeah. You know, yeah. That guy's crushing it to the point where they can rent a car and, and stand in front of it and make you feel like, hey, if you do what I tell you to do, you'd be a mirror. So I see a lot of fake it till you make it going on out there. And that does not create good branding because I think what will end up happening, right, is at some point people get to take a peek behind the curtain and there's nothing back there. Yeah. And I think that there is, I mean, obviously for ethical reasons, I hate that strategy, but also just. In the, in the sense of you cannot pull it off the way you think you can. We live in a digital age where there is nowhere to hide. You know, even with businesses that I work for that are traditional businesses and not so much gurus and, and thought leaders, you know, when you tell everybody you care about your staff, but your staff is posting pics on social media about the terrible break room or my boss just did this or, you know, the cell phone videos of random, you know, customer service attacks and things like that. We see. And so from a brand management and a brand reputation standpoint, the fake it to you make it will cause you more harm than good in the long term. It's better to be authentic. And most of the time, where you're at in business is exactly what will position you better when you understand your ideal customer avatar. So I'll give you an example just for our business. When we started out, you know, when we were first opening our agency, there were a couple things that we were concerned about. One is we were just starting out and we were being pitted against and, and shopped against some of the large ad agencies in town and people who were, had big accounts already, Coca-Cola, Nike, 
And so we're thinking, well, how do we compete? How do we fake it till we make it? We can't lie and say we have customers we don't. And so, but we really looked at our audience and we looked at the audience and the customer base that we had and what we were developing and who could use this. And it wasn't people who, it wasn't Coca-Cola, right? Coca-Cola had already, has already developed these internal systems. We were looking to get people who were local chains and didn't have that set up. And they didn't want to hire somebody that was working the Coca-Cola because it's one thing to be able to maintain what's already been created with the budget that's huge. It's another thing to help a company do that from scratch. So for instance, for our ideal customer, they were not, they may be impressed by the guy who runs the Coca-Cola account, but that's not who they would hire because number one, their first thought is, but I'm not Coca-Cola. I don't have the budget Coca-Cola has. So you can give me all the coolest stuff to use that's going to cost me a million dollars a campaign and I don't got it. So what can you do for me? And so what they understood is that we were better positioned to help them because we had experience with smaller businesses that look like them. And so had we have gone out and faked it till we made it, we would have lost the business of the people that are our bread and butter today, yeah. um, you know, and so really authenticity and transparency are going to be the name of the game. Um, and oftentimes it actually makes better sense for your bottom line too. We just don't see that right away. Yeah. I mean, we talk about it a lot. I think uh, a lot of times one of the biggest fears of, of people going to big box retail is that they don't have any big things to talk about. You know, we've done some business online. And so I always tell them, Hey, listen, we're going to talk in terms of percentages. We're going to look at your sales story and make sure that you have a story first. You know, so I did this and then I did this. And as long as there's a solid progression, even if you're doing $9,000 a month and you did 7,000 last month, if there's a solid per- percent progression, that's what we'll focus on because that's real. That's true that we are progressing at that rate, not that we're trying to be somebody that we're not. Now, that's not to say I don't want you telling you know, a retail buyer, hey, yeah, my product's right out in my garage. You can call your garage your warehouse. But sometimes, you know, as Jocko, uh, I interviewed Jocko Willick on this podcast and the title of the podcast was Leadership Strategies of the Solopreneur. And you know, I put a question to him of, you know, how does a single solopreneur stack up against a huge company? Like if you're at a trade show or whatever, and his answer, was super simple. He said, Hey, when you're small, everybody gets to talk to the CEO. And I always think about that. I always talk about that because it's true. You know, instead of seeing that as a negative, see it as a positive. You're talking to the main decision maker. You're talking to the rainmaker right now. Whereas, you know, 20 years down the road, I might be, I might have 10 people in front of me before you could actually talk to me. But right now, you have my full attention. So let me ask you this. Did you um, always want to be in marketing? So when you were a little girl and you were playing dress up, I mean, did you you think that when you guys were playing John Wayne movies, you know, with the family, think that you were going to be helping franchise owners, you know? No. In retrospect, it makes sense. But as a little girl, no, I definitely wanted to be an astronaut. I tore up all my little ballot. Back then, you know, little girls had these joy boxes, the flip tops with the spinning. And I would, pull all the little ballerinas out to make little Petri dishes out of my jewelry boxes. I went all of my university uh, school. It was, it was a bio major with chem minor. So there was absolutely no, no hint of that. But when I, I uh, 
started working, I uh, was in insurance. I was, you know, first an overnight, just the person that gets the calls. And I was doing that in college. You know, it takes, you know, when people get into an accident and they call in and say, hey, it was just an accident. And through that, they uh, started using me to, to write curriculum for different software or overnight processes or emergency. And, and I happened to be working and then, you know, got promoted to adjuster and uh, investigator. And, and I happened to be working in the industry when the, oh gosh, I can't remember the year now, but it was the year that Florida had five hurricanes all in a row. It was Ike. And, and so there were a lot of, you know, kind of like what we're going through right now, just not right. in as great a scale. But, the, you know, we have people that would call the insurance that were calling from the roof of their house, trying to get help, airlifts, and where the insurance, that's the only thing that they had because they grabbed their home insurance policy and ran to the roof, and, you know. Um, so there was a lot of in-house training and there was a lot of how do we deal with this crisis management. And that's where my skill set was, is to create, you know, emergency, well, what my skill set was to create SOPs, flows, you know, guidance, training. And so I started to get more and more of that work. And then um, over the years, I moved over into the sales side of things and then started doing the same for them. And so I was in corporate, you know, sales and marketing and training for several years. And then we moved to London where my husband uh, did his externship for his culinary degree. When we came back, we decided to open a restaurant. He opened a restaurant. Um, And so that was my baptism into small business entrepreneurship, bricks and mortar. And we did that for five years. And then um, I got pregnant and I I was a stay-at-home mom for a while before I went back into work. And so, yeah, it was a very windy road. Had no idea that this is uh, where I would end up. But yeah, I I do enjoy it. And I, I think that all the skill sets that you develop along the way, you know, really do... Well, it sounds like it sounds like the whole thing you were doing at the insurance company was really preparing the back end of the insurance company so that you know when people call in a crisis, they don't feel like, well, we're not really prepared for that. Oh, I didn't really think that you'd be calling me from the roof of your house. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, it sounds like that is a good preparation. Yeah, it, it was all very, you know, it was very good writing curriculum, understanding how to distribute it, you know, in, at a Fortune 500 level where you've got, you know, international offices, how to how do people get the information? What's done locally in house? What's done? It really gives you a, a good inside view of how that's done, which makes it a lot easier to reverse engineer it. Because one of the things we tell businesses, even if they're not ready to franchise, is you don't have to choose to franchise, but you really should make your business franchisable. Meaning, whether you've got one location or 50, you want to make sure that you have your systems in place. You know, we have one location, we are based in Texas. Yet within 72 hours, we had a response for our clients. We had a system set up for COVID crisis. We had, you know, protocol and uh, policy on what we were going to do with our current clients, how we were going to adjust their contracts, what relief we were going to give them. We had a training set up, you know, free training set up. We had everything, automatic triggers set up for how they would get that information. We had copies of all of our policies for COVID distributed to our entire team. And it was all done within 72 hours. And because of that, we didn't lose a single client. We didn't lose a single, nobody skipped a single payment. Nobody panicked. We had none of our proposals went, you know, ghosted us because everything's in flux. We kept on. And that's because even though we're not a franchise, we're franchisable. Everything's set on systems. We have a process. You know, nobody could plan COVID. It was nothing that 
we didn't have a specific, you know, pandemic crisis procedure set, but we had. I was going to say, if you yeah. did, did, I was going to be worried about if you. If we did, I'd be like, like, let me pull this file out. Yeah. <laughs> if we did, I would be, you know, Nostradamus right now. No, we had no, nobody had any way of predicting that this would happen. But what we did have were all the systems in place. So that when something like this happens, you just insert crisis here, whether it's an internal crisis, whether the office floods, whether there's a fire, whether, you know, Facebook goes down, anything that happens. We Heaven have a forbid system. Facebook yeah. would oh, go God. down. That might be, yeah. I mean, that, that would be crazy. But, you know, things that have happened, you know, if our CRM goes down, if our, you know, something happens, we have a system of how we deal with crisis. And so then you just insert and adjust specifically, it's almost like a template, right? And then you just kind of go in and fill and make adjustments specific to what the emergency is. And, you know, it stinks that the current situation that we're in really sheds a light on how important having that stuff set up in place is, but it, it you know, but it is, and it's, it's hugely helpful. Yeah. I think that Mark Zuckerberg's heart just did a little flutter just at the thought I know that Facebook going <laughs> down would be on par with the pandemic, but you know he's thinking, "Wow, if Facebook went down, that'd be the same as COVID nineteen. Wow, that's amazing." Uh, so he, I'm sure he's excited about that. Yeah, I think I don't think things are ever going to go back to the way they were. I mean, I, I already see some clients making changes. ECRM, who's my biggest client, making changes. But let me ask you this: like, what is the piece of advice, maybe from parents or like, grandparents, or that you got? that you remember most when you were coming up? But I mean, it could have even happened in college, but I mean, there was, was there one piece of advice that one of your elders gave you that uh, kind of sticks with you? Gosh, there's a lot because I have a really big family. Does any of them revolve around John Wayne? I just want to know. <laughs> you know what? You'd be surprised. So many of them. <laughs> yeah. I, I, you know, I don't know. It's not a quotable necessarily, but I just, I know my grandma growing up, my grandma is, the stronger faith than anybody I've, I've ever known. And no matter what I've come to her with, whether it's personal, whether it's business, whether it's, you know, anything, you know, being a mom, the first thing she always says to me is, well, first of all, you need to understand that God's got this and the solution's already there. So stop worrying about it. And the second thing is now that you know, that's all going to work out, figure out the details, you know? Um, and that's been a huge help for me my whole life because I'm a data girl. And so the second things in a plan and I'm a girl who loves to plan things. And so when things don't go right, I think as a human, my initial response is what ifs, you know, what if this, what if that? And so it's easy to kind of fall into that, that uh, trap of just kind of, you know, scenarios. And so just pulling that out, I actually have it on a, a three by five that I have on my, my corkboard. You know, God's got this. And so I was going to say, that sounds pretty quotable to me. God's got this. (laughs) You know, just, just that, that. And so I don't have to worry about what if it doesn't work out, just plan and work as if it is worked out. And then that helps you to kind of refocus and do what you want to do. So I've been pulling that out for a minute the past week and a half for sure. But um, yeah, I I, I think that. Remind me, how old is your son again? My son's four. Okay, so he's not quite as old. I think I was. Yeah, he'll be five in a couple days. I think I was seven or eight when my dad started giving me tools for birthday, for Christmas, and when you're seven or eight, getting a set of Craftsman, you know, wrenches was 
not good, you yeah. know? And, uh, and he did that all the, every Christmas or birthday, I got tools as part, not that wasn't it, but there was always tools involved in the gift giving. And, uh, by the time I left for college, I had two full big toolboxes full of tools. And when I left college or I actually even just got an apartment, I realized that I was the only person anywhere that had any tools. Everybody would come to me for, Hey, can I borrow a screwdriver? Can I borrow this? Nobody had any tools. And I think the lesson it taught me was you're getting tools of some kind all the time. They may not seem relevant. They may not seem like you're, you know, as a seven-year-old, I wasn't going to go out in the backyard and like tear down the lawnmower and maybe be like ratcheting this or that. You don't always know why you're getting the tools, but you do have to put them away in, in your mental toolbox or your physical toolbox because sometime you're going to be in a place where that tool is going to come in handy. And uh, I, my dad had no... I don't think he was trying to teach me a life lesson. He just wanted... He didn't want to buy me thousands of dollars worth of tools at one time, I think. And so he just started building it up over the course of time. But I have, I, I swear I've used that in sales and training so many times that don't discard all the tools just because they don't seem relevant to you right now. Yeah. Take it, lock it away. At some point, you may be the only one in the room with the tools. And uh, yeah. for a crisis, like your Facebook goes Yeah. Definitely. That's a really good point. That's really smart. Now you're making me, uh Oh, Robert might be, <laughs> we might, we might be swapping out some of Robert's transformers for his birthday. <laughs> a couple of days worth of tools. That's actually, yeah, but you gotta really be ready idea. first. I think I gave my dad some uh, pretty hard, I'm like really, uh, screwdrivers. Come on. You know, it's just not what any kid wants. Um, and I never used any of them. I never used one tool that my dad gave me. In fact, when I left for school, most of them were still in the, thing that they came in, you know, the wrapping or yeah. the, not the wrapping, but the, whatever the packaging, placeholder yeah. that they can Yeah. The packaging. And, uh, but I still have a full set now, uh, you That's know, all the, all these years, all these years later. So that was interesting. So most of our listeners don't, aren't franchising out there. They're, you know, most of them have a product or a couple of products or some products. They might have them on Amazon. They might not, they might be wanting or thinking about having a product and Earlier, before we started recording, we were talking about you know what buyers and retailers want today is they want to do business with brands, companies. They don't need our help. It used to be that 20 years ago, when I would walk into a, a buyer's office, they would be like, Tim, what do you have? You know, I was the only person that was bringing new stuff into their office. You know, but today, they have sourcing people all over the world. They don't need my help to get them a product. They can find something close, similar, whatever. They certainly don't need that. What they can't get, what they really want, what they need is partnerships mm -hmm. with brands and companies. And so a lot of times, I think our listeners struggle with, do they have a brand or do they just have a name on a product? Do they have a company or do they just have a product on Amazon? And let's kind of break this down and start out. How would you know if you have a brand? Yeah, so that's a, a great question. And you're absolutely right. The landscape of big box has changed. You know, before, best asset they had were the products that they put on the shelf. And now, what a, what a seller, you know, is the big, the best asset they can offer is an audience. Because what retail hurts for these days is traffic. 
And so if you can guarantee unique traffic to their store in search of their product, that's what they want. In order to do that, you've got to have a brand. You've got to have a tribe. You've got to have a following of people who will go and walk all the way to Target, drive all the way to Target to grab your product. Because while they're there, they'll also buy $100 worth of other stuff from Target. And that's, and that's a win. And so Target and Big Box, they look at those, that. You know, what, what, what unique audience can you bring us? But I mean, how would you, you know, if you're just Joe Blow, Amazon seller, you have a product that's doing pretty well. How would you, you know, if you really wanted to ask yourself, do I have a product or do I have a brand? What are some like things that you could check off, you know? Yeah. So here's an easy thing, an easy way to litmus test that. Send a survey to your customers and ask them, what is the coolest thing about what we do? What do you love the most about it? And if you are not getting, at least a 60% consistent answer, you do not have a brand. You're a commodity. Okay. So if they're a brand follower, if they're loyal to your brand, they're going to take the time to answer you. If you just have a commodity, is that what you're saying? No, no, no. Having them actually respond to a survey is definitely an indicator that that they like you enough to, (laughs) that, that they're enough of a follower. No. What I'm saying is that every brand what, what creates a brand is they are known for something. They appeal to a certain group of people because they are seen to be the best provider of something, right? That's mm-hmm. the brand. So let's just take Apple, for instance. Apple is very targeted. They resonate best with creatives and people in the tech industry, people who design software. And they resonate very well with those, that audience because they are seen to be the best provider of artistic creativity. So if you look at their software for creatives and graphic designers, it leaps and bounds ahead. If you look at like the colors that they do, if you look at how simple it is, non-techie people, creatives, right? Who can use simple equipment and not be lost in Microsoft's black hole of options and apps. And so they are seen by a specific group of people to do a specific thing better. And so if you survey your audience, give me something random that somebody would sell. So yeah, let's say you have, I'm trying to, everything that comes to mind, I'm under (laughs) NDA not to talk about. So, but let's just say you have a certain type of towel. Yeah. For the beach. Yeah. So, okay. So you've got a beach towel. So you've got a lot of competition in the beach towel game, right? And so how do you know if you've got a brand or if you're just a commodity? If it's just somebody like, unless like, I'll buy you if you're on sale or if you're the cheapest, you know, then otherwise it's anybody's game. So how do you know? Well, if you send that email, you send that survey, and the vast majority of your responses are, because I love the graphics, I love the design of your beach towels, then you know that you've got a brand. Like you are the fashion forward beach towel, you know, that, that's your niche. That's your USP. That's something that people will pay extra for because I could have gotten the beach towel for $8.99, but I bought your beach towel for $12.99 because I love the paisley design on your beach towel. For others, it's going to be maybe the quality. It is the plushest. Softest, yeah. Yeah, you know, thread count. I don't even know if you do a thread count for towels, but you know, you know what I mean. And so it is, you know, the most absorbent or the most durable or, you know, it's the plushest, you know, most comfortable beach towel. For others, it's the size. I'm a six foot five guy and, you know, all of my beach towels fit me like mid drifts when I try and wrap them around me and it doesn't work for me. And, you know, yours is a decent size. So you're going to get 
consistent answers. If you're getting things all over the map, it means you're a jack of all trades and you're a master of none. And that's not a brand. Because what that does is a couple of things. Number one, you're not really known for anything. And what builds brand consistency? So if people aren't saying the same things about you, you're losing that brand. You're losing that consistency. The other thing is, is that if you see them all over the spectrum like that, then you're probably not, your, your margin's going to reflect that, right? So you're going into too many pockets and you're probably not showing much of a profit margin. And so you're losing your ability to really scale. So, you know, when you look at your brand, in order to keep that up for all those people, you'd have to keep spending an excess of money to be the best at this and the best at this and the best at this and the best at this. And the reality is, is that different people care about different things. There is no, you know, in in today's market, there is no undisputed best. There's an undisputed best for specific segments of people. And so if you're getting survey information back and it's all over the place, then you're likely not developing out a brand. You're not developing out your tribe. You don't have your early adopters who have latched on to this one thing that you do really well. And so you're likely going to end up spending more money in marketing because you're going to have to market to more verticals. You're going to lose margin because your cost is going to be too high. And people are seeing you more of a commodity. And so it's more feature-driven, which means that as soon as somebody comes up with the generic version of what you do and matches feature for feature what you do, your value is going to drop and so are your sales and your market share. I think that goes into what we talk about a lot. And I think people struggle with a lot is the difference between a feature and a unique. One of the first things I do with every client is I ask them to give me you know, between five and eight features of their product and then three to five uniques. And 90% of the time, their uniques are actually features, mm-hmm. not uniques. Yeah. We call it in... Uh, internally, we call that the fingerprint effect. So... There's a name for it, big boxers. Yes. <laughs> There's a name for it. We call it the fingerprint effect. So it's not that sounds just, so covert too. Right? <laughs> I need a secret name now. Um, so it's not just about what you do. It's about how you do it. So app for app, button for button, you know, color options for color options. There is virtually no way to be unique. And even if you can, you won't be unique for long. If, even if you're an inventor and you have a great idea, you know, give it three weeks and now you're going to have 30 other companies with the same idea. And so it's not good enough to have just a feature. It's the way in which you do it, right? It's, it's the approach with what you do and how, and the story that that tells to your ideal customer that you're delivering on your brand promise. And so just off the cuff, you know, if you don't have a brand promise and you don't have your ideal customer and you don't have your position in the market, you do not have a brand. So let's say that again. So if you don't have a brand promise, you don't have a... If you don't have a brand promise, if you don't have an ideal customer avatar, which means a a very clear understanding of who your perfect dream client is, and you don't have your... Where was I? I lost my... Position in the market, something? Yeah, your position in the... You don't have your position in the market, then you don't have a brand. And so... That's why the survey is a really good indicator, you know, because I will tell you that you have no position, right? It will probably also likely tell you that you don't have an ideal customer avatar. You'll see the different kinds of customers you have coming in responding to that. And so I'll give you an example of a business that we did. 
we did a, a protein bar. And this protein bar was a wonderful product, right? It, had, it was non-GMO. It hit all the marks. It was flavorful. It was a very unique flavor. It wasn't like your typical peanut butter protein bar, Oreo protein bar flavor. It was very unique. It was, there was a savory line that was all great. But all of those things are replicable, right? And so we had to find how we were going to develop that product into an actual brand. And so what we did was we looked at who this product was specifically designed to help. Who could this help? So we looked at all of the ingredients, you know, because they say, well, we have better ingredients. Well, what does better mean? You know, so then we looked at it. Well, it has omega, which is good for focus. It has no whey protein, which is better for digestion. It has no rice, rice syrup. So it's a low glycemic index. You know, all of the things that it has. And a lot of us just stop there. And that's better, but that's not necessarily valuable for everybody. And so we take that and then we say, okay, well, who would give a crap that their protein bar has these features? And as creatives, it's very difficult for us to take that next step because for us, it's understood. It's common sense that these are better ingredients. Why are they better ingredients and who are they better ingredients for? And what we found is that those are better ingredients for endurance. Those are better ingredients for endurance athletes because they needed, these are people who were, you know, base jumping. These are people who are doing rock climbing. These are people who are doing very dangerous work. They needed to have no sugar fog. They needed to have a clear brain. They were usually on their excursion for over eight hours. And so they needed something that was low glycemic index. They weren't going to be hungry with. And so what we understood was that they were perfectly positioned to help these endurance athletes. And so once we were able, you know, because you think of an oversaturated market, like the protein bar, you can't get much more more oversaturated than that. And so really trying to find something new in an oversaturated market, we really had to look and be specific um, about who we were trying to target. And so by doing that, we were able to find our position in the market. Like what? So we were not just another company that was going after with like all natural, non-GMO. That's what everybody else was saying. But what could our claims, what could our messaging say that was unique, that would resonate with the endurance athletes? You know, mind clarity, low glycemic index for endurance performance, you know, for long-term performance. These are not CrossFitters that are going to go crazy for half an hour and then go sit on the couch. I mean, these, these are endurance athletes. I don't want to get emails. She's not saying anything about you CrossFitters. No, I love CrossFitters. Um, <laughs> this, had to, this had to last, you know, quite a, quite a while. And so finding messaging that made us unique. So now we were the premium offer for endurance athletes. And that's what set us aside and allowed us to create a brand. And so once you've got that position in the market, you know who you are, you know what you do and you know who you do it for, you've got that position in the market. Now we move on to the offer development. So now we were able to talk about a name and a logo and what the packaging looks like. You know, we even got celebrity endurance athletes to come on and be the face, like a, you know, like a, like a cheer, but it's Wheaties, you know, boxing, we emulated that so that we could get the, the visual look that we wanted. And then we went into offer development. So if this were, if, as we developed the offer, what specific things had to be in place in order to be consistent with the brand and to make this a no brainer, like they've thought of everything. It's like they made this, like they were in my head when they made this. So one of them was hundred percent compostable packaging. 
because these again are people who are on the documentary you know people who not are who are not only don't have access to trash cans everywhere but they also care deeply about the environment and their carbon footprint so you know what kind of ink we printed on the packaging the custom packaging for uh, 100% compostable packaging we had to think about you know what kinds of shops where were we going to put this what kind of retailers so did we need the little notch you know for hanging did we need the box at what volume who are we going to put it to you know what retailers are we going to go after first so we weren't going to try and hit up Walmart first. We we're going to try and go after REIs, at, you know, Outdoor World. And, you know, who were we going to target based on what the brand model was? What features did it have to have with it? You know, what look did it have to have? And so putting all of that together creates that brand and that following. What messaging were we going to have? Who are we going to be tagging on social media? What kinds of posts are we going to be putting? What kind of events are we going to be doing? Who are we donating to? And what strategic partnerships were going to actually be strategic. And so it really puts a lot of focus and clarity into what you're doing instead of just trying to be everything to everyone and do more, more, more. You can get a lot more done with less if you're really focused and intentional. And so maybe a soccer mom who is looking to do weight management isn't going to see this as particularly better. It's just in, like any other protein bar. And that's okay. Because she's what we created was a strong brand that everybody in the environmental and the endurance athlete arena was talking about this. And that's what creates that concentrated buzz. And you can do that much more quickly in in a smaller group than if you're just throwing it out there to everybody right off the bat, especially for a lot of companies that don't have a huge marketing budget. Starting out, you've got to be, you know, the big fish in a smaller pond, so to speak, so that you can start to create that buzz. I mean, this sounds like a real all-in mentality. Uh, do these companies do anything before they start this process with you to make sure that people even like their bars? Do they have any data? Like they're not, they're not just thinking something up and then creating a brand around it and getting a, get in a position before they even know that it's going to sell or do they? Yeah. So we get different types of businesses in different stages. So Oftentimes, for some of the larger ones, like I said, they're either local chains looking to create a franchise. So they've got that proof of concept where they've got the three. Then we have others that are product-based or agency-based, and they come in a variety of stages. But sometimes they're companies that have been, you know, surviving, you know, they've, they've been, but they're ready to scale. They're ready to get into retailers or they're done with just the farmer's markets or selling off of their Etsy page or their, their own website, but they're not sure how to do it in a way that's actually scalable. So, you know, going from retail to wholesale and, you know, it's a big step and there's a lot of things from an operational standpoint that you need to have ready. So sometimes we get them at that stage where they, they have enough proof of concept already going in that the product is viable. It's just a matter of cleaning it up and organizing it so that it's ready to scale. And then we have other companies that are just in launch phase. And for them, we work with focus groups. We have an international focus uh, group firm that we use where we can run, you know, anything from, you know, the people you see at the mall or at grocery stores with their little stands, you know, giving samples and questionnaires um, all the way to online. And then we also bring people in as well. So we have you know, and those are more for local markets. So say we're going to open up, uh, you know, if we're going to do a restaurant that's opening up and they're still in the menu development plan. We'll have focus groups put together. We'll invite them in 
and have them, you know, we give them, you know, their surveys and questions in two small, smaller focus groups. So, you know, when they're getting ready to launch, they haven't already gone through that phase, but we'll take them through that phase so that they're best, they're best poised so that we get some, some actual data that we can work with. Nice. So it, checklist wise, you know, it, so if you're out there and you have a product and you have some proof of concept, you need to find out what's number one. Yeah. Number one is always look at your brand DNA first. You've got to know who you are. You've got to know what your, your identity. The second is going to be knowing who your ideal customer is, who you are, who you do it for. And then finally, what do you do? What is it? What is the transformation that you're giving them? And not from a technical product, you know, so people are seldom buying the product. They're buying what that product allows them to do. Right. And so if you understand that, then you understand your position. So the, the first thing that you need to do as a company is understand your position. And in order to do that, you need to know who you are, what you do, and who you do it for. Perfect. All right, guys, yeah. there's some homework for you right there. Yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, I think, I mean, we're running a little bit long here. So I appreciate you yeah. hanging in there with us. Now, you pronounced your name differently Zara. than I did. Yeah. It's, I'm sure that I'm not right. No. Well, I pronounce it Zara, like Sarah with a Z, but it's a foreign name. And so, I've seen people with my name with the exact same spelling who do pronounce it Zara. And so I could, you know, it's just literally open to trend. I like Zara, Sarah with a Z. That makes it easier for me to remember. Yeah, especially doing working in call centers. That's a way easier pronunciation to receive over the phone than trying to. <laughs> now you can work with customers from all types of status, right? Just. Of all budgets. And I mean, are there people that are too small for you? Or I mean, when people are looking, a a lot of people are going to hear this podcast and think, geez, do I have a brand? What am I doing with a brand? Am I enticing to a retailer? Am I even at a place where Sarah with a Z can help me? So I mean, do you, you work with all ranges of companies? Yeah, we have different offers. Obviously, if it's a one-on-one client, if it's one-on-one client work, those are going to be a little bit better poised for established businesses, but we do have a lot of online resources. So we do have an online course, which is for more if you are just launching or on a smaller budget. It's a guided course giving you the fundamentals of how to create a brand um, and build the framework for that so that as you launch um, your your company from a bootstrap place, you know, what are the things to that you can do to create your brand so that you can scale quickly. And then once you get to a place where you're looking to really scale up, that's when you would call us for one-on-one services. So we do have a lot of help and resources out there for even small businesses starting out. Yeah. So we'll have, I mean, brandauthor.com, right? We'll have that on the, right? Brandauthor.com? Yeah. So um, yeah, you go to brandauthor.com. If you're not sure where you fall, you can go in to schedule an appointment. And we do offer um, a consultancy, a 30-minute consultancy free of charge, just to, it's a discovery session to kind of see where you are in business and what your needs are. And then from there, we can direct you to, you know, being somebody that would benefit from one-on-one client work based on the project needs, or if it's just a general, you know, branding and you're starting out, we'll definitely direct you to the online resources we have. So we'll have that website, uh, obviously in the show notes. So if you're out there mowing the lawn right now, doing your due diligence, staying at home, being away from social distancing, then uh, you'll be able to go to ontheshelfnow.com and find that when this airs. All right. So fi- uh, wrapping up two questions. Yeah. When building a brand, never 
ever, ever do this? Oh, can I give you two? Wow. Okay. Never, ever, (laughs) ever do these two things. Okay. Thank you. (laughs) I have to be difficult. One is never replicate what's already there. Like don't copy. No plagiarism on people. Yeah. Don't be the generic. The minute you copy something else that somebody else has been doing, you're sunk. You're already the generic. So never do that. Um, And secondly, never react. Always respond. All right. So never react, always respond. In what instance? Like, what does that mean? Everything, your brand reputation and your brand and how it's seen is a culmination of people's experience with you. And so if you are reacting to things, you are schizophrenic. If a customer complains or they want a refund and you're just reacting to that, if somebody trolls you on social media and you react to that, if someone gives you a one-star Amazon rating and you react to that, customers want to cancel contracts with you because of the COVID crisis and you react to that, then you are creating a scenario in which you may be putting information out there. Best case scenario in an inconsistent manner which is still terrible, right? Because you're not creating a solid safety. People, why do we buy from brands? Because we trust them. We, we know what we're going to get. It's just like people, right? The people that we cling to are the people where we know what we're going to get from them. I know how someone's going to react to things, right? That's how we build relationships with people. We're a little hesitant and sketchy around people that like, I don't know, some days they're having a great day and they're wonderful people. And other days they're mean and cruel. And, and so it's just the same thing with the brand. And so when you're reacting to things, or if you're having a good day or you just paid the bills and someone calls in and wants a refund and you're like, no refunds ever go away, you know, on another day when you're feeling generous, you're like, okay, I'll give you a refund. So, you know, when you're reacting to things, if one day somebody trolls your social media and leaves a nasty comment and you ignore it and the next day you just go all in and rip them a new one, you're not giving the brand consistency. And so best case scenario, you're inconsistent and it hurts the goal of a brand, which is to create a level of trust there. And you can't trust what you don't understand, what you don't know. Worst case scenario, you're going to create a lot of negative press out there. And so, and once it's out there, it's out there. So always respond, get in place as many processes. We call it, you know, what would brand do, right? So what would you, how, you know, when you get nasty comments on social media, have a, have a protocol for that so that your social media manager isn't going in there and like, well, you don't know anything. You don't know what you're talking about. Nah, nah, nah. You know, have a, you know, so many times we see that where somebody will make a complaint and then the owner or the manager will go in and tell the customer how technically they're wrong, thinking right. they showed them and that all the other people reading the review will magically understand that it was the customer's fault, not the company's. But in reality, what does that do? Right? And so when you have a set position on things, how you're going to respond, you know, so maybe you say, okay, well, whenever we get a customer complaint in there, instead of getting into it on a Facebook thread, we're going to go in and send them a direct message, offering assistance, offering, messaging them directly, asking how we can resolve it, getting more specifics on what happened, you know, what's the response versus the reaction. And in scenarios that are new that you don't have policies set up for, taking the breath so that you can think Take about it. people. Think about if I say this, then what are the possible outcomes? 
and developing a response from there so that you understand. And I think that so many times as entrepreneurs, we're like, you know, with that baseball bat and we're just hitting things as they come at us. And it's just very reactionary and long-term, short-term, it clears our inbox tasks. Long-term, it can create a big mess for us to clean up from a brand perspective. Yeah, who's somebody who does that really well, and I know I'm going to butcher his last name, but he's the creator of the X3 bar, and he's all over Facebook. But it's this new way of, or different way of working out, which has for him like oodles and oodles of research behind it. But people are always like, he'll put out a post, and there's always the naysayers, and they're just, oh, well, this is the same as this, or oh, this is bogus. This, oh, don't, don't you want to do this? He never reacts to what they say. He only provides information. Yeah. So, well, you can't build muscle that way. And then he'll say, well, actually you can. Here's the documentation. Here's the articles. Here's the research that's done. And then he puts the links in there. And he has these set answers to all... Because people, people don't read down through a thread, the other thing too. And so they'll ask the same question, like 50 questions down. The 10 other people ask you know, the first 10 questions. And he's very consistent with his answers, but they're never a reaction. They're always just a response about the data, not a reaction to whether they do or don't like his product or they're trying to get him people on this page to transfer over to another product that they're promoting. He just, he just like you said, responds. His name is Dr. Jankish. And I know I'm just, X3 bar if you look that up. But yeah, he's super good with that. I think that's really good advice. So the last question was, when building a brand, always, 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 always do this. Always you can't have work. two answers here. You have to stick yeah, just with one. the one. <laughs> Always work from your brand identity guideline. Never deviate from that. Whether you're rolling out a new product, whether you're responding to a crisis, whether you're launching in a new market, whether you're developing out a new vertical, always do it with your brand from a place where your brand identity guide is in your hands, and you're using that as a guideline and a bible to do that with. Yeah, kind of like a, that's almost like a mission statement, kind of guiding your intentions, right? Or, you know, if you have a certain code that you personally live by, you always put up all your your life questions up against this code to see if it's in line with. By the way, I always try to bring everything back to a movie somehow. <laughs> but what you were saying, the whole reacting, reminded me of this scene. And did you ever see the movie Pursuit of Happiness with Will Smith? Mm-hmm. I did, yes. Where he's homeless and then he becomes a investor. Is that am I? Well, he be, yeah, he be, yeah he goes into the you know training program where he's making no money. But how he got that way was he bought all these these medical devices. He spent his entire life savings, and then he had this big idea that he was going to go sell them to these doctors, and and life would be grand. Well, it wasn't working out that way. They lost basically all their money. His wife leaves him. He can't for his rent, he's got his kid and they become homeless. So every day he's out trying to sell these medical devices to doctors. And at night they have to find a homeless shelter. Sometimes they spend the night in the bathroom, whatever. I remember that. Yeah. There's this one, he's down to his last one. He has no money because earlier in the day he was standing on the sidewalk and a guy from his program at Merrill Lynch or wherever it was said, Hey man, do you have five bucks? And he gave him his last $5. So here he is in this, in this, um, doctor's office, the doctor's interested. You know, I think these things are like six, $800. So this is everything. And it doesn't work. It does like he flicks a switch and it doesn't work. And you see it just building in him. Like he's just going to flip and lose it. Yeah. But he doesn't. He doesn't react to it. He just simply says, you know what? 
yeah, you know, um, I, I'm not sure. Let me take a look at it. I'll take, I'll get it fixed and then I'll bring it back. And so the next scene is him. He's up all night in the stairway of the homeless shelter fixing it. He does take it back. He does sell it. But had he reacted and been like, Mother, yeah. he would have never had the opportunity to go back and then sell it when it did work. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I always think of that when I'm about to, uh, like you said earlier, rip somebody a new one. I'm like, that's that me in technology. Whenever I'm doing a webinar or some kind of online training, and of course, because I stink at technology, something, there's some kind of debacle. It's always, okay, keep a smile. Don't freak out. Don't throw your yeah. laptop. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, when somebody prints something and the printer goes off during your podcast, yeah, you, you know, know. Stuff like <laughs> just the huge. Yeah, right. So, all super great advice. So, Big Boxers, I hope that you've had an opportunity to think, at least start thinking about. You know, do you have a brand? Are you taking the steps to build a brand? Or are you just comfortable with selling a product online? And by the way, it's not a process that has to happen overnight, right? This is not, this is something that you can, you can still enjoy your honeymoon time building revenue online. And at that same time, be taking steps towards building your brand. You, you can, you know, go through Zara's course and start learning it on your own. And then when you're at that critical moment, you may be in a position to bring down the thunder and have her help you personally, right? Um, yeah. And, but, and uh, brand is always is ever evolving. There's never, you know, it's like doing the dishes or working out. There's never a point where you say, all right, I finished it. That's it. I never have to look at it again. It's done forever. It's, it's something. Well, dishes definitely aren't that because they come back every <laughs> single day. Right. right? <laughs> So yeah, I don't know what happens, but you do the dishes and tomorrow they're back. It's like, a, I was going to say <laughs> it's like a virus, but I, that's <laughs> too soon. It's too soon. <laughs> too, soon. too soon. All right. Well, listen, Zara, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it. Uh, I appreciate you spending time with all the big boxers out there and I'm sure they're taking the information that you gave to heart and uh, it's been really helpful. I appreciate it. Awesome. Well, thank you for having me. I had a lot of fun. All right. Well, we will talk soon. All right. Sounds good. Hey, Big Boxers, we're back. Zara has left the building and it's just you and I again. I hope you guys enjoyed that. She's crushing it out there. And if you want to find out how she does what she does, if you want to find out how you can create a brand, because remember what I told you, remember what I said on this podcast a hundred different times is retailers want to do business with brands. They don't need products. They can go find products. When they look at your product, they're not just looking at that. They're looking at your company, at your brand, at your offering, at your look and feel, at your website, how it ties together. They're looking at all of that. That's what they can't get. They can't buy it. They can't borrow it. They can't own it. They can't go to China and get it. It's your brand. You created it. You have the following. You have the influencers, you have the social media, you have the engagement. How do you get all that? How do you put it all together? You got to get with Zara. She's going to help you do that. So all of her details, of course, are going to be in the show notes or website or email and everything that you might need to know about getting a hold of her. I recommend that you do that. Let her know that you heard about her on the On The Shelf podcast so that she knows where you came from. All right, I'm going to close out with just a couple of announcements, like always, right? I want you guys, we are having some really great 
things happening in our private Facebook group, On The Shelf Now. Go to On The Shelf Now, hit join, and be part of that community because we're, going, we're doing live events, we're having great discussions, we're building each other up. It's a really great time, and I want you guys to be there, okay? If you're wanting to know how to price your products, go to TLB Consulting, hook, click on Courses, and buy the How to Price Your Products for Brick and Mortar Retail course. You're not going to be disappointed. Keep an eye out. By the time this comes out, it might already be out. But keep an eye out under courses at tlbconsulting.com for our how to pitch anything via video conference. That's one that you're not going to want to miss. And then keep your eye out. And of course, we're going to let you know when that's happening about our complete course on how to get your products into big box retail. I want to hear from you. Want to know how you're doing. And one of the ways that we can do that is if you join our Facebook group so that you can get in with the community. We can start having conversations. We can know how you're doing in all this turmoil. I want you to know I'm praying for each of you out there. I wish all of you the best. Be safe. Be well. And until next time, we'll see your products on the shelf. 